everyone. Welcome to In The Corner, the place where every cricketer wants to be. I'm your host, Calum Dunk, and thank you so much for tuning in to today's episode. Today, uh, we have a very special guest, the man who is responsible for running the Melbourne Stars, Blair Crouch. Blair, how are you, mate? Very well, thank you, Callum, and thanks for uh, having me on the program. Yeah, it's such a joy to uh, have you on the, the podcast, and we were just talking off-air before about some really exciting things going on at the Melbourne Stars, and uh, we'll get in, into the uh, operations of the the franchise uh, throughout this episode. But Blair, before we get started, we just want to give a shout out to our sponsors at AX Sports. Uh, AX Sports have been a terrific supporter of the podcast. So make sure that you head over to their stores at Holden Hill, as well as at Edwardstown and go and get yourself a good deal with their Christmas sale. Blair, uh, really interested to hear more about your journey in cricket. And you've had a, a few jobs um, with some very different sporting organisations. Um, would you be able to give us a bit of an insight into what you do at the Melbourne Stars as the general manager and I suppose the uh, different roles that you're performing on a daily basis? Yeah, happy to, Callum. Um, I suppose fundamentally my role as GM means that I'm responsible for each of the components of the club. And, you know, I think if if people are perhaps more familiar with an AFL club, um, it's basically the CEO of the club is is the role that I perform. Um, but in some respects, it's even more interesting because we are a smaller organisation, certainly less people than a than an AFL club. My role probably gets involved in in more areas um, uh, when it relates to list management um, and, and to sort of salary cap management. So um, maybe we can just step it out so so it makes sense to people. Um, you know, we have functions within our within our, our, our club that relate to the marketing, um, you know, the commercial partners that we drive and good to see that you've obviously got a sponsor on board uh, who you referenced there at the start. Um, you know, we have a, a media team, we have social and digital experts within the team. Um, as I said, we, we have marketing and membership and comms. So, you know, all of those functions have people who are responsible for them, but um, obviously as my role as GM, I sit over the top of each of them. Um, but the thing I find really most interesting with this role is um, is managing the list management and the salary cap management for both the WBBL and the BBL program. So, you know, often that means we're, we're sort of sitting down with the coaches, we're looking at a lot of analysis and data and trying to work out um, what does our list need. Um, and there's lots of ways you can do that. That's obviously things like skill sets, um, you know, that's experience or age profile, um, you know, and and often you are managing what you want versus what you can afford based on the salary cap, which all of the clubs have to stay stay under that cap. So, yeah, it's a really diverse role. It's probably the most the the broadest role and the most diverse role I've had within sport, um, because my previous roles, whether it be at the AFL or other sporting organisations, were more sort of subject matter experts, so just commercial or just marketing. Whereas this role really does sit across everything, which I really enjoy. Yeah, you mentioned the list management and we're certainly going to touch on that uh, in the episode today. And uh, it's just so fascinating to hear how the BBL has changed in terms of how a list is created and obviously how a list is maintained. If we look at the Perth Scorchers, for example, they're very local. They're all very local players with the occasional overseas player, uh, whereas some other clubs, you know, really heavily rely on the overseas players to, you know, drive interest and, and drive marketing and sponsorship. So I'm really fascinated to hear more about that. Mm -hmm. The 
BBL and the WBBL are, you know, six to eight week competitions. And we've seen the men's competition just reduce slightly from 14 back down to 10 games, which I think is a fantastic move. Outside of those, you know, six to eight weeks for each competition, um, you know, what sort of work is done behind the scenes to ensure, you know, that everything runs as smoothly as possible in, you know, the actual playing periods of the year? Yeah, there's certainly a um, a machine that runs the Melbourne Stars 365 days days a year, and you're right. There are the the heavy tournament times. So from really, if you sort of think about, so maybe the, the easiest way to sort of step this out is to go from the start of the year. You know, we're in BBL until sort of the end of January, let's say maybe early February, based on the fixture or the schedule. Um, it, it really then sort of post that takes us a, a good eight weeks to really pull apart all of the data that we have from all of our third-party sources, whether it be fan data, member data, we have all the TV data, um, you know, all of the all the performance uh, information that relates to, um, you know, the way the clubs perform. But that's not just in wins and losses, but, you know, we take time to review that and then we present that to all of our commercial partners. Um, and you can see on my top, and you might have seen recently, we've brought some great new partners into the club like Dodo, like Disney, um, like 5am organic yogurt, you know, like 13cabs uh, and, you know, wonderful partners who, you know, they're investing in the club. So they're going to want um, information about how we're performing um, and how we're addressing the very clear KPIs that they have for us. Um, so that takes us probably a good, good chunk of sort of, you know, six to eight weeks to then get in front of all of our partners, present the data. And then really we start planning the next year. So you're sort of into April, May already. The way the contracting works for the players is there's typically an embargo period after the BBL final, which means you can't sign any players, um, you know, for a period of time. And that's the case for both WBBL and BBL. So um, WBBL uh, final is this Saturday. Technically from the first ball of the final, no club can sign a player until the embargo period opens. And that's likely to take, Last week, it took up to sort of three and a half months. So there's a lot of activity behind the scenes to work out who you want to sign, but you can't actually sign anybody. So there's conversations and there's planning. Um, and But then until the embargo period opens, you just have to uh, wait, I suppose. Um, but that gets us through, you know, when that embargo period opens, there's a, there's a frenzy of activity. Everyone's trying to often go after the same players. You're dealing with player managers. You're pitching to players. You then try and finalise your list in sort of June. Um, you know, as a business, we then have to forecast, we have to do budgeting, we have to do preparation for the next year. Um, and then we really get into practice matches for our academies from October, I beg your pardon, September. Um, and, th and this year, for the first time, because of our relationship with the San Francisco Unicorns in the Major League Cricket in the US, uh, we spent time in the US in June and July being a part of that competition, where we had some of our stars players, uh, including Marcus Stoinis, Brody Couch, some of the renegades in Aaron Finch uh, playing for the Unicorns. Um, and we, uh, as part of our relationship with them, we sort of have a management relationship. So we had people on the ground, operational people on the ground, team management on the ground. So that kind of extends the, the, the tournament period for us now. Um, and then by the time you get through that, then you're into September, October. And then, of course, WBBL starts again. Um, and then underpinning all of that is all the work we do in the community. So we are active through our Cricket Victoria relationship with people on the ground, in schools, in communities and in cricket clubs all year round. 
Um, so that's what sort of continues right throughout. Yes, the high profile part is when Glenn Maxwell's playing in the middle of the MCG for that period in December and January, but there's a whole 12 months of activity that that the club manages. Yeah, it's obviously sounds very fascinating and um, it's just such a, as a cricket nut, it's just such mm. a um, joy to hear about those kinds of experiences and previously working in an AFL club myself. Um, mm. You know, there's obviously the stuff that's going on in season, but um, you know, off season is when you're working just as hard. The planning and the preparation is just such key. And one of the things that it's really important to plan for is the BBL and the WBBL draft. And we've seen mm-hmm. it introduced with the the women's competition this year, which is exciting. But it's been going on in the men's competition for two years now. Um, mm-hmm. How much planning and preparation, you know, goes and analysis goes into actually you know, looking at players and then contacting players, managers, finding out their availability um, because there's a lot of factors at play in regards to the draft. Yeah. Yeah. A lot, um, a lot. And it really does go for months. You know, when we finish this, finish the tournament, we'll spend time, I'll spend time with the coaches, uh, with our analyst, um, you know, working out where we might be deficient with our existing list. And obviously you, you lose your three overseas players regardless. So they go sort of, you know, back to what they're doing and you're not sure whether they'll return to the club uh, in the pre- in, in the preceding year. But obviously with our domestic list, and you spoke before about the strength of WA, I mean, they're very fortunate that they've got a tremendous group of cricketers who live in Perth and, and, and play state cricket for WA and, and therefore they have a very strong domestic list, um, you know, for the, for the Scorchers. It's a little bit different in Victoria in that we only have the same number of state contracts available to Victorian players, but then we have to divide those that talent pool in half to try and fill the Renegades and the Stars with as many of the you know most appropriate Victorian players as possible, which is probably why you see less domestic players playing um, you know for for our two Melbourne clubs, uh, and we do therefore need to bring interstate players in uh, to play for us each year. But the analysis and the planning for the draft really starts realistically in sort of March, March, April. And then we have a series of meetings this year. We actually, for the second time, we filmed all of our, uh, all of our preparation meetings and we distributed that via our social media channels um, as a bit of a road to the draft and just giving people a sense for what happens behind closed doors as we prepare for that. And it really is list analysis, uh, skill deficiency, and therefore who would be the most appropriate player to go after to try and fill um, a skill gap. For example, you know, we spend a lot of time thinking about who's the best death bowler in the world. We think Harris Ralph, feel, you know, fills uh, fits the bill. He's played for the Stars before, familiar with that club. So we went into the draft with a very clear plan to secure Harris, as an example. But it's a lottery, really. I mean, you don't know what's going to happen above you in the draft. You know, you don't know what's going to happen behind you, so you're not sure when to use your retention pick, of which every club has one. Um, so you do go into that night with a whole bunch of different scenarios. And we were lucky that we had pick one. Obviously, we called out Harry Brooks' name. And sadly for us, Harry won't join us this BBL due to other commitments. But um, Harry was probably one of six names that we had thought about calling in the lead up to the night. And then on the night, um, obviously, we you know we, we sort of made the final call to, to, to sort of pull his name out of the hat. Yeah, well, you... Two years in a row that the uh, the stars have Number tried to 
to po- poach Rashid, but uh, yeah. yeah, that's that, I don't think that's happening anytime soon. Um, as, just, but as Jason Gillespie said to me on the night, he said, "If I was in your shoes, I'd do the same." Um, as as would any club. So you know, it makes sense that I mean, he's again, unfortunately for the competition, not coming down due to injury, but, but you know, he's a tremendous player, and any team would um, would want him. Um, you know, lining up for them. Absolutely. I couldn't agree with you more. Rashid has done so much for the strikers since BBL 07, I reckon it was. So, um, yeah, hopefully he'll play for the strikers and in the BBL for many years to come. But just to follow on from that, um, can I ask, are there any other picks that you had other than Harry Brook at number one? You mentioned there was a few players that you were genuinely considering. I'm just very interested to hear you know, some of the players that you were considering with that number one pick because it's very valuable and it provides you yeah. with obviously so many options. Yeah, it's going to sound a bit strange when I sort of give you some names because Harry was probably the only batter that we were looking at. Um, you know, the others were really more spinners, more frontline spinners or all-rounders. So, um, or even a death bowler if we thought someone like Harris was not going to slip through to the gold round, the, the gold pick, which is our pick nine. Um so we did consider calling uh, Harris uh, at one, um, but we also looked at other death bowlers like Tamal Mills, who performed really well in the 100, um, you know, very reliable, very experienced bowler. Uh, we looked at all-rounders, you know, we looked at uh, Jordan, uh, you know, we looked at others who sort of ended up going in the first round. Uh, and then we looked at spinners, um, Majib, we looked at Akil Hussain. Um, but we also looked at, you know, um, Probably the only other batters that we did look at, I beg your pardon, was De Kock, uh, not to keep, but as uh, as a batter, uh, and Joe Clark, who's played for us the last two years. Um, but we but we sort of thought, having traded Sam Harper from the Renegades in the off season, um, we we really wanted to to give Sam the opportunity to keep for the Stars and to bat at the top. And, and after he made 151 in a Shield game at uh, d- down at your local oval there at Adelaide yesterday, and in, in, looked like he was sort of batting in BBL style. So, um, you know, I think that decision to not go after an overseas keeper uh, will be vindicated when Sam has a really good BBL. Yeah, it's uh, just really fascinating to hear about the processes that go on um, inside the four four walls of a BBL club. But I just wanted to follow on. We see player schedules becoming a bit more of a tricky dilemma for for BBL clubs we see the introduction of the ILT20 and the SA20 which is the competitions in um the UAE and South Africa respectively um how difficult is it dealing with players and you know the conflicting schedules um because for example someone like Rashid Khan wasn't available for the entire BBL uh because he does have a commitment to the MI Emirates so um do you mm. see the these two competitions in particular having a big impact on the ability to attract overseas stars for the entire tournament as we go further into the future? Yeah, I do. Unfortunately, I think there's a couple of factors at play there. Um, uh, You know, you would have seen the last couple of years, most of the platinum players were available for a, a small section of the tournament. Last year, we took Trent Bolt with our number one pick. And he was available for eight of the 14 games. So that was sort of pretty typical of a platinum player's availability because he then went on to ILT20 and played over there. The, the, the type of player who's, you know, at that level is so in demand that it is unlikely that you're going to get um, a large group of platinum players or even gold players who will be able to play the entire big bash, which, 
I'm sure that was one of the reasons that Cricket Australia decided to reduce the number of games from 14 to 10. Part of the challenge this year is the length of the competition is still the same because of the window that it had to fit in. Ideally, if you're playing 10 games, not 14, the competition goes for a shorter amount of time. So overseas players aren't spending so long down here. And I think once that's that's kind of realigned next year, and I'm certain it will start later and be in a more compressed window, then that will be more appealing for international players to come down, which is a good thing. But you're right about the amount of competitiveness with scheduling, and it's not even just SA and IL. I mean, there's the T10 in Abu Dhabi, which is sort of happening now. Harris Rao's currently playing a domestic competition in Pakistan, so literally playing this week. Um, the PM's 11, our own Prime Minister's 11, you know, fixtured by Cricket Australia, um, is happening uh, at the same time as the first series of uh, the first few BBL games. So, so we lose Mark Steckety, who we've just traded from Brisbane in the off-season, and Bo Webster, who's probably the, the, the most informed domestic cricketer in this country, we lose those two players to the PM's 11, so neither can play the first game against Brisbane on the 7th of December. So it's not even international cricket that's taking our players away. It is at times even our own fixturing. And then, of course, with such a busy summer of cricket with the tests, we've signed Scott Boland for three years. I'd be wrapped if Scott Boland played one game for us this year because of his likely workload with the tests. So long answer to a complex question, but just trying to give some insight into all the machinations. Um, it's not just the international players that we that we want to see playing in the Big Bash. We want to see all the best domestic players playing as well. Um, and even though they'll be on the other side of the fence, I would love to see uh, Uzi and Manus available to play the first game in Brisbane against us next Thursday if they're released from the test squad. I think that's the right thing for the competition. You want all the best players available for that night. Absolutely. And, you know, the the BBL is something that people look forward to every year. And, um, you know, we see Steve Smith going to play for the Sixers um, in that in their first game. So I think it's really important. Yeah. And I think it was such a big deal last year when Smith and, and Warner in particular were able to go and play for their respective franchises. And, you know, you know, it helps to drive extra eyeballs onto the games, which is obviously, you know, good for, for TV and it's obviously good for the club and their um their major partners as well. How do you see yeah. the preparation of the men's team for the upcoming season? Um, you obviously took Harris Ralph and um, you know, I've, you did take Harry Brook, as we've talked about previously. Harry isn't available. Um, but you signed Liam Dawson as well, which is really fantastic. Um, he'll bowl well at the MCG, left arm spin, uh, can bat a bit at number seven or number eight to try and finish in innings. Um, so would you be able to tell us a little bit about the preparation, um, how the team's aligning? And obviously you've got the big guns as well in Glenn Maxwell and Marcus Stoinis who will be available for a fair majority of the time. Yeah, we hope the whole time. We didn't see either of them for much last year. Of course, Maxi broke his leg on the eve of the tournament. And Marcus, unfortunately, had uh, COVID um, and a hamstring sort of injury. So we lost him for a lot of last year as well. Um, look, I haven't seen the guys, to be honest. And this is the issue with, not the issue, this is the reality with franchise cricket, is we won't start seeing anybody really until um, tomorrow. Um, and then we're all coming to camp over the weekend. We've got a, a practice match on Sunday against the Renegades um, at the Junction Oval. And that'll be the first time that we'll have probably nine or 10 of our contracted players together. 
um, playing a practice match. And then, of course, we go to Brisbane next week. So whilst we don't see a lot of them, unless they're the Vicks, I saw Brody Couch and Tom Rogers yesterday. We we played a practice match at the MCG with our academy um, against the Queensland sort of academy side. And we've got a game tomorrow against um, the San Francisco Unicorns sort of academy team who are out here at the moment. Um, but, yeah, it comes together really quickly. You know, often you don't have more than two or three days to sort of get the group to gel, you know, before they before they come together to actually play. And that's also, you know, it's another competitive advantage for Brisbane or uh, Adelaide or Perth who have a huge number of those domestic players playing together all year. So there's a level of continuity and kind of um, connection, I suppose, between those players. Whereas our job with the stars is once we see them from day one, you know, we're building opportunities to to get them to connect. Um, I'm looking forward to seeing Bo Webster have a breakout year. I mean, he's an outstanding cricketer, um, you know, so I think he he's one to watch this year. Hilton Cartwright, another domestic player who um, probably felt the pressure of not having Maxi and Stoinis ahead of him last year. Um, you know, we just didn't bat deep enough. So I think Hilton will have a, a fantastic year seeing Sam Harper back in green, our fans of, been really pleased about the fact that he's back for us. Um, and Harris, Osama Mir, Osama Mir is a bit of a, a bit of an unknown quantity. I think you know, incredibly talented, very tall, two meters tall. So we'll we'll, we'll, we'll sort of challenge some batters because he, he really releases it from a very different, you know, sort of um, height, I suppose, and gets a lot of spin on the ball. Um, so he'll be you know interesting to see how he goes. And then of course, um, Maxi and Stein. Um, Maxie's just doing maxi things at the moment, um, as he did yesterday. So there's not not many players in the world that you can almost rely on something like that happening. Um, and he's, you know, he he really bleeds green for our club. Always have, and he's desperate for success. So very much looking forward to seeing him on Sunday, um, and um, and really getting into it next week. Absolutely, and the um, WBBL. It's just about to finish up the finals on Saturday. Um, how do you assess the performance of the of the girls' team and um, what are some of the things that could potentially be improved for next year? Oh, disappointed, really. Um, you know, we sort of had our wrap-up on Sunday and, and the, the feeling amongst all of the group was we really underperformed. Um, and that's not a negative thing. That's just reality. You know, we had higher expectations for uh, for how we, you know, how we ended up going. I think the challenges we had were that we just weren't able to construct enough runs consistently to defend. I mean, we did really well to defend 130s and 140s. Um, but, you know, I just think if we had been able to construct more partnerships to sort of stretch out the innings and to really give us the chance to go 150, 160, 170, then our bowling lineup was so good. Um, Sophie Day leading wicket taker of the tournament with 27 wickets. Annabelle Sutherland came second in the leading wicket taker with 25, I think. So, yeah, it's interesting. If you had a said to me at the start of the tournament, over the next six weeks, Daisy and Belsey will take, you know, 48 wickets or whatever between them. You'll beat Perth twice, including at the Wacker. You'll beat the Sixers at, the, at North Sydney. Um, and you'll beat the Heat and you'll beat the Renegades twice. I would have said to you, we're, we're probably finishing second or third, you know, based on that. So... Yeah, disappointing that we just didn't quite fire enough with the bat. Yeah, and we were talking a little bit off air before that the average age of the the team for the WBBL side is, you know, around that 21 sort of mark with two 31-year-olds yeah. as well. Um, so I assume looking to get some more experience potentially in the overseas player, um, you know, in the draft next year would 
be something that you'd be looking towards? Yeah, we will. Um, and, and as we were talking about sort of before we started recording, you know, there are, there's plenty of data on how to suggest that an, an older, a slightly older list, a more experienced list um, will help you think through challenging situations in, in game. And that's just a, that's just an experience thing. Um, so we'll certainly look to bring experience into the group. Um, and, you know, we hope Meg returns to sort of full-time playing with us. Um, but certainly um, we'll, we'll, we'll probably have a, a slightly different approach to our overseas players next year once we get through all the data and we understand sort of where we are uh, deficient. But um, look, it, it's such a wonderful young group. We've got probably 10 young Victorians who will play for the Stars next year. So there's real positivity in that. And when you've got the likes of Kim Garth, Annabelle Sutherland, Tess Flintoff, Meg Lanning, um, you know, they're four unbelievable cricketers to sort of build a list around. And, and that's what we'll be doing. Yeah, it, despite a disappointing season, it seems like there is a lot of positivity and optimism for the, for the girls. So hopefully uh, we can go to bigger and better things next year. Blair, I just wanted to ask you about some of the rule changes that we have seen in BBO. We've talked about the number of matches being reduced, which I think will be a good thing for the men's competition. But um, how do you see rule changes such as the power surge we've seen the x factor in previous seasons which i actively dislike because you're either in the best <laughs> 11 or you're not i don't you mind the power surge. You um, i don't mind the power surge as a concept i feel like it can bring teams who are a little bit behind in the game you know give them those two overs in the middle and it, it really works well when you've got two set batters but um mm. there's obviously so much strategy behind when you take it or you know, who's in when you take it and all that sort of stuff. Um, how do you see some of those rule changes that Cricket, Cricket Australia have experimented with and do you think they've been successful? I, I agree that the X Factor had to go and we were very glad that it did. Um, that just didn't really... It didn't work because uh, clubs weren't using it effectively and fans didn't really understand why we had it. So therefore it sort of didn't really achieve either objective. Um, so that was good. Good decision to move on. Um, the surge is interesting. It's, I don't think any club has worked out consistently how it's best used. And we didn't have a formula for how we used the surge in the WBBL. It was very much based on where we were, you know, where things were at with our innings, who was in, how settled we were, um, you know, how far behind or ahead of where we thought we should be, um, you know, we were at that time. We took it as early as the 11th over. We took it as late as the 18th over. Um, so no one's really worked out the best way to use it. It, it. It's interesting as a fielding side, it's often good when the batting side takes the surge because it usually brings wickets. It's amazing how often you can see the the batters become a little bit conservative in the over prior to when they take the surge because they just want to make sure they're there for the surge. So it changes their mentality for those, those last six balls. And then often what happens is the batter goes ultra hard in the first few balls of the surge, which you know, often brings wickets. So as the fielding side, we were, we were always quite excited when they took the surge because it usually worked in our favour. As the batting side, you're a bit anxious because you're conscious that the two batters who are in there are thinking about when to take it, which which can affect their sort of positivity, I suppose, for the for, them for the over before. Personally, I'd love to see six overs of power play at the start and no power surge, um, which is more in line with other forms of of cricket, um, of T20 cricket or of short form cricket. So that would be my preference. 
And I think that just gives the batters up front an opportunity to work their way in for a couple of balls early on, maybe an over or two, and then still be really aggressive until the end of the sixth over. Um, that would just be my personal my, my personal view. Yeah, I don't love the power surge, but at the same time, I don't hate it. It's just something that's there, and I think it's going to be I think it always happens. <laughs> yeah. And but the one thing that I would like Cricket Australia to look at implementing is you can take it after the fourth over. So it does it can turn into a traditional six over power play. Um, or if you do want to keep it for later in the innings, you've always got to up your sleeve. Um, Blair, we've talked about Bo Webster, we've talked about Hilden Cartwright. Um, who should we genuinely be keeping our eye on from the Melbourne Stars and, and what can we expect from the boys this season? Well, Glenn Maxwell's one, who obviously we didn't see at all last year. Um, and who knows what Glenn will be able to deliver for us this year. I mean, he can't be in any better form coming in, playing in really tough conditions in India. Um, he'll be happy to be home. He's a, a new father. Uh, had a baby only sort of six months ago, uh, a little bit more. Um, you know, so I think from that point of view, um, he's definitely one to watch. Um, Stoyne's had a couple of interrupted years with injury. Um, you know, he's bowling more now for Australia. So you might find he bowls more with us and ends up taking a lot of wickets and taking overs for us up front. Um, two players that haven't played for us before who I'm really looking forward to seeing are Joel Paris and Mark Steckity. Um, you know, I think Steckity at the MCG in particular is a perfect bowler for that environment and, and Joel being a left armour um, bowling up front. Um, you know, so critical in, in T20 cricket to have left armers who swing the ball. So we're really pleased to have uh, him in the team. Um, and and the, the, probably the two I touched on before in, in Webster and Cartwright, um, you know, coming in around sort of five or six, six or seven, both just so explosive. Um, you know, you could find that if, you know, we're getting off to, you know, perhaps better starts with um, the guys, you know, more consistently, you know, playing and batting ahead of them. Those two could just explode um, and and really scare some teams in the last sort of five or six overs of any innings. Um, so yeah, look, we're really excited. We, we we feel like the list, even considering Harry Brook was in and then he's out, um, we're really excited about the list. And I think that the other overseas player that we'll announce later this week, I think hopefully our fans understand um, that that he's a he's a great fit for us and someone who brings experience and will be able to win us games of cricket. Absolutely. Um... Blair, I just wanted to say a big thank you for coming on in the court. And um, it's been a real privilege to, to chat to you, find out more about your job at the Melbourne Stars, find out a bit more about the, the operations on a day-to-day -day basis at the Melbourne Stars. And um, yeah, other than the Adelaide Strikers winning the BBL in uh, BBL 13, I wish the Melbourne Stars the best of luck. And hopefully we might be able to get a few Melbourne Stars players on the podcast in the near future. So thank you very much for your time and it's greatly appreciated. Thank you, Callum. Great to be on. I look forward to seeing you on New Year's Eve down at the Adelaide Oval when we um, come over there and beat the Strikers. Very good. Very good. Uh, thank you so much for watching In The Cordon at Home. Make sure you find us on your social media pages and we'll see you on our next episode. Cheers.